Take your Bible and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you came in, hopefully you were able to uh, receive a copy of the bulletin. And if it helps to have some sermon notes to follow along with as you're going through the sermon, if you turn that bulletin over in the back, what we've done today is I've tried to encompass in a statement what 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 is saying. And so it looks like a six-point sermon, but it's really just one statement. I've broken it in to six parts to make it a little bit easier to follow along. And each of those statements there is going to be kind of part of the way we break down this, this passage together. So if that's of interest to you and of any help, especially when we get to uh, kind of point number three on that bulletin, looking at some of that information will be, will be helpful for you. We are in the middle of a series of sermons called One Another, uh, but it's way more than what we do at 1030 in the sermon time. We're trying to make this part of what we do as a church, and so you've heard me mention already the, the devotion that I'm sending out Monday through Friday based around this idea of one another. Many of our Sunday school classes are studying 1 Corinthians 1 through 11 as part of what they're doing in Sunday school. And so we're hoping that this could be a kind of defining time, a shaping time for, for our church. And so to that end, I want to point you toward 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's pray together before we look at these verses in detail. Father, I pray that as we come to this part of worship, we know that what we did in singing and what we're doing right now in studying the Bible, those aren't different worship. This is all gathered in the name of Jesus. And so whether we're singing, whether we're reading, whether we're praying, whether we're having conversations when we get ready to leave, all of that, Father, we want to be an act of worship before you. And we want it to be guided by your spirit, God. We are not here to build up ourselves. We are not here to build up the name of a church. We are not here to do anything except give our lives fully to you. And that can only happen by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus and according to your word. And so, God, I pray that what we do in the next few minutes would be honoring to you as we engage our hearts and our minds. God, that you would shape us individually, you would shape us as a church. And, Father, I pray that you continue to guide us when we leave this place in a few minutes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we gather here uh, at 1030, I try to be careful the way that I describe what we're doing. I know that... Sometimes we call this a worship service, and that's not a bad combination of words. That's what I grew up calling it for the most part, is you're going to come to the service, or you're going to come to worship. There are some theological reasons, biblical reasons, we've got to be careful what, what we're doing there. But we really know 
what this time is called. This is big church. Um, so growing up, what really didn't call it the, the worship service, you went to Sunday school in big church. Uh, and when you went to big church, you got little snacks to eat, so you didn't, you know, you weren't a distraction, and you were trying to, I just, the idea of calling what we do at 1030 Big Church causes such happy emotions in my heart. It's hard for me not to still call it that as an adult, that what you do right here is, is Big Church. Now that's good because it elevates what it means to gather together for worship. My favorite thing as an adult to call this time is a worship gathering. I think worship gathering most clearly describes what we're trying to do here. You worshiped before you came here. You're going to worship when you leave here. What we've done is regularly we gather together to worship. And so I like to call it a worship gathering, but in my heart of hearts, it's still big church. One danger about big church, though, is that what happens is 1030 to 1145 or whatever you grew up gathering together, whatever time that is that that you get together with believers, becomes the defining part of your Christian life. And worse yet, what happens is during that time, there are only a few people who, in a sense, participate or use gifts or or use talents. Now, I believe very deeply that worship gathering is a two-way street. This is not you watching something happening on stage. But at the core of it, we realize that what happens here only involves a few people using their gifts. And so it becomes very confusing when you grow up in that and say, well, man, they must be really important because they're up on stage doing that. I'm just glad I could come and be a part and watch and, and go along. And we realize it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous theologically. It's so dangerous biblically. It's so dangerous in what it means to be a church because you end up creating two classes of people, those who lead out at 1030 and those who are just tagging along having a good time, and you just don't see anything like that in the Bible when it talks about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Here's an illustration, though, that might be helpful, and we're going to talk about this some more next week, but this illustration works for me. Many of you know that I am obsessed with golf. I don't even like golf. I'm obsessed with golf, like over the top. So if you could care less about golf, just play along with my illustration, and I'll teach you something about golf. So when you're starting a golf hole, you're starting from the teeing ground, from the tee box, and a lot of times you use the driver. That's the one with the big head on it that they charge you way too much money for at the store for just one single club. The amount of money you can pay is ridiculous. But use the driver, and you hit the first shot with the driver because you're trying to get the ball way down the hole, way down the fairway. Then you use a club that's called the iron. It's the one that's kind of thin, and you use it to get up close to the green. And then when you get to the green, you become the old Adam Sandler movie, trying to put it in the hole, like go to your home ball when you're trying to get it to go use a putter or a chipper or something like that. So there's a driver that gets the ball way down the fairway. Then there's the iron where you're trying to get up close to your goal, and then you're trying to put it in. Let me take that illustration and kind of apply it to church in the Christian life. What we're doing at 1030 when we have a worship gathering and there are people on stage leading out or there are different people doing different roles, in some sense is the driver. We're trying to advance the ball way down the court. God does things when people gather together that don't happen in any other time. Your heart is warmed, your mind's engaged, 
Your spirit is transformed. God does powerful things when we gather together. This is why camp is such a big deal for students. This is why revival experiences are so big. This is why regular weekly gathering matters. It's because you're advancing the ball down the hole. But if that's all you do, you haven't actually gotten to the goal. You haven't gotten to what God is guiding you toward. And so the small group experience, when you meet together with other believers, I kind of align that with hitting an iron shot. So you're getting the ball closer to the hole. You're getting it closer to where you're going. Being a part of a group is where you start to work out some of these things. Now, you can sit silent in your small group, your Bible study, your Sunday school class. I hope you don't, but you can theoretically do that. But you're still tight enough that people are going to be able to make a connection with you. And they're going to start to be able to get to know you. And you're starting to be able to live some of this out. And then there's the point at which you're not gathered in a formal place. You're just living out your Christian life. You're meeting with your neighbors. You're going to work. You're caring for your kids and your grandkids. You're living life. That is when you're actually using the short game, trying to get the ball in the hole. That is where we're focused. So what we do on Sunday morning is we're trying to advance the ball down the hole, but it's a small part of what we do. Then we want you to be a part of a group so you get to know one another, you form relationships, you start to live out your faith, but that isn't even the end goal. Being a part of a group or a Sunday school class is not the end goal. The end goal is that you are experiencing the power of God's spirit in and through you in such a way that your relationship with God affects every area of your life, where you live, where you learn, where you work, where you play. And then finally, we're getting to the goal. So what we're doing here in big church matters, but don't see this as the end point. <laughs> we want you to be connected with other believers. We want you to be living out your faith in every area of life. And so the way we're gonna say that this morning is that God has empowered each of us in various ways for the manifestation of his spirit to build up the body and display Jesus to the world. Those are the six parts of these verses. And we're going to start with the first. God has empowered. Look back at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. One of the things I love about the time of music that we had before this is that David picked out songs where every one of those songs we were singing about the Trinity. I don't know if you picked that up as we were going, but every song mentioned Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We did that on purpose knowing that these verses were coming this morning, that your heart and your mind would already be thinking about who God is as Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Holy Spirit, that he is the one who empowers people, that everything we have comes from him. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because in the ancient world, when people thought about gods, there was a God for war, and there was a God for love, and there was a God for victory, and there was a God for business, and there was a, there was a God for every element, there was a, for everything you did. The striking thing about these verses is it says there are varieties of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but it's the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. 
There is one God who is empowering in all kinds of different ways his work in his world. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, doing all of this different type of work in the world. I want to show you a couple of verses that, that relate to this on, on the screen. To know that everything that we do comes from God, is empowered by God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Philippians 2, 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it, you're telling me to get more involved in church, Owen. You're telling me to live out my, my Christian life and everything I do. How do I do that? Well, it is God who empowers that. The God who has given you the life is the one who will empower you to live it out. That everything we have comes from one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who makes this. The Father who loves his kids and wants to give good gifts to them. The son who has set the example of what it looks to live a servant-based life. The spirit who is at work in all places at all times empowering God's people to do what they can never do on their own. Every one of those factors at work in the life of the believer that God has empowered. Next phrase. God has empowered each of us. Each of us. It is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, we kind of alluded to this last week. Last week we talked about the fact that it's easy to see other people as really spiritual when I'm just barely getting by. When the reality is that everyone who is trusted in Jesus for salvation is a spiritual person, that the Holy Spirit is at work in that person's life. What these verses are saying is that for every believer, for every believer to that person has been given a manifestation, an appearance, a power of God's Spirit. Where does this idea come from? It actually comes from Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. Now, if those verses sound familiar to you, it's because they are the verses that Peter used in Acts chapter 2 when he was preaching at Pentecost. That the coming of the Holy Spirit in power for the church is a fulfillment of what was prophesied through Joel. And the key thing about those verses from Joel is that who is going to experience the power of God's Spirit? Everyone. It's not just men or women. It's not just people who are high class or low class. It's the idea that everyone will experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Not to get too far off track, but just after those verses in Joel, in Joel chapter 2, I think it's verse 32, it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That verse reflects Romans chapter 10 that we talked about last week when we said that the core Christian commitment is Jesus as Lord. And so Joel chapter 2 is such an important passage to understand what's happening here in 1 Corinthians. That everyone is able to confess Jesus as Lord. 
And when that happens to everyone who does that confession, they receive the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. It's not this high class, low class type of thing. Here's why this is important. In the ancient world, there was a concept called patron-client relationships. Even though we don't talk about this a lot anymore, it'll make a lot of sense. The patrons were the ones who had all the money, all the power, all the influence. And so if you wanted something, you had to go ask for a favor from the person who had the money or the land or the influence. And as soon as you ask for something, you became in their debt. You owed them gratitude. You owed them allegiance. You were supposed to raise their honor in the community. In the church, in the early church, this mentality was developing that the people who had the money and the wealth also held a higher place in the church. Because don't misunderstand this. This is hard for us to understand in 21st century life, especially living in Oklahoma. But imagine you live in a world where you have money, power, influence. You become a Christian and you become a part of the church. It's hard to leave that idea behind. You think when you get into the church, I have money, power, influence, therefore I still have a higher standing among the people. Paul's having to come to them and say, no, in actuality, in the church, you all are interdependent. Nobody comes with a greater level of God's spirit that somehow they dominate over anybody else. You are all dependent upon God, and you are all interdependent upon one another. This idea of a patron-client relationship really opens, opens up that idea. Here's, the, here's another way to think about it. When I was in school, in elementary school, I was a part of this program that was called Gifted and Talented. That's your time to laugh, but that's, aha, uh-huh, yeah, thank you for that, appreciate that. I, I don't know if Gifted and Talented is still, still around, uh, but, but Gifted and Talented, I remember they would kind of like take us out of our class and we would go over to this other area and we'd read some different books or do, do some different things. Um, looking back, I, and once again, I don't mean to speak badly about gifted and talented programs if, if they're still around, but just looking back on that experience and thinking about what that communicated to, to people around you, and I can't imagine what the other kids said about us when we, when we left the room. That makes sense of why we were made fun of uh, uh, all the time. But just because I could read fast and I guessed really well at questions on standardized tests, somehow I got elevated to be a part of this particular group. When in reality, I couldn't find the carburetor on a car. I can't draw a good stick person. I always feverishly check to see if my mic is turned on or off down here while I'm scening. What makes one level of gifted and talented somehow better or more important than another. I was thinking about gifted and talented yesterday about this time that my toilet was overflowing at home because of a plumbing problem and I couldn't figure out how to turn off the the water. Uh, And so there's water going all over our floor and it's going into our closet. And I'm, I'd been at the time like practicing my sermon for today. And I was like, yeah, some sort of gifted and talented you are. You can't even turn off the, turn off the plumbing on there. My point is, 
we have to avoid in every form this idea that somehow certain people are the gifted and talented ones who are really involved in the church and in the kingdom of God and other people are just tagging along. That is not the case in any part. That God's spirit has been given to every believer. So, how does that happen? It happens in various ways. This is point number three on your notes. So God has empowered each of us in various ways. Back to those verses again. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who is empowering them. The word varieties there comes from a word that has to do with distributing something, with, with putting it out, distributing it out to different people. Here's a cool thing. That idea actually connects back to the book of Joshua. When we left the book of Joshua a few weeks ago to come over to 1 Corinthians, we were right at the place in the book of Joshua where they were getting ready to distribute the land. They had gone into the promised land and they were going to start breaking it out into different pieces so the people could get their inheritance. That idea of distributing the land from the book of Joshua is very similar to what we're starting to get here in 1 Corinthians 12 with this idea of varieties, that God is taking his gifts and he has distributed them among his people for their inheritance so they can use them, so they can live in them, so they can receive them for his glory, that they would be used in these ways. And so what we have to see here is God doesn't work in just one way. There are all kinds of ways that he shows his power, that he gives his gifts to his people. One thing I want to point out to you, and this will be a little simpler if you look at your bulletin, if, 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 it's, if you learn better by looking at something, but there are five main words in the New Testament for the gifts that God gives or the way God gives to his people. The interesting thing about that is all five words are used in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7. You have five main words in the New Testament for how God gives and distributes his gifts to his people. All five words are combined in some way in, in these verses. The first is a general word for giving. The word didomi, or it shows up in different forms for the noun. But it's a general word just for giving something. You're going to find it in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It's, it's that idea of just offering something. It was a common word for giving an offering or a sacrifice but it's the most common word for, for a gift. The second word is the word pneumaticon. Um, it has to do with spiritual things. Pneuma is the word for spirit. This is the idea that God gives of his spirit in a way that is not the same as he would give, uh, not the same as natural things or fleshly things. It, it's a spiritual gift. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, we talked about last week, spiritual gifts, spiritual people. This is that idea. The third word for gift is the word charisma. You can see where the idea of charismatic, if you've grown up in church and maybe you were a part of a charismatic church or you knew about charismatic churches, this idea, this word charisma or charisma is the word there for a gift that is given by the power of God. Now, the interesting thing about that word is it comes from the word for grace. So the word for grace in the New Testament is the word charas. Charisma is a grace gift. It's given freely. 
It's giving in a way that overflows from this source that there's no end, that God gives freely to his people. He gives of his grace. This idea in the New Testament, this type of gift, this charisma, is sometimes used in 1 Corinthians 7 in reference to singleness or celibacy. The idea that God would gift people in such a way that they would live a single life. That as a church, we would come out of the dark ages and singleness is not a curse. It's a good gift from a good God who gives of his spirit in such a way that his people can live fully for him. The same word can also be used in reference to salvation. It's a gift of God's salvation. And it can also be used in reference to spiritual gifts. So it has, has that type of idea. The fourth word is the word that we get our word deacon. It's the word for, for service, this idea of um, having a ministry or a calling, that is also a word that's used in reference to gifts. Whatever you do to serve in the kingdom is a service done for the Lord. Sometimes people will talk about those who are on church staff or those who are preaching or teaching, and they'll say, man, they're doing the Lord's work. The phrase, doing the Lord's work, applies to every single believer. There is not one group of people doing the Lord's work. According to this verse right here, we are all doing the service that God has called us to do, that every single person is in service to the Lord, not trying to build up themselves. And what what that means is we can't trivialize what anybody does. There's no looking down on one person's service and elevating what somebody else does. Be careful about using the phrase, that person's really doing the Lord's work, as if they're doing something that another believer couldn't do. Or, or isn't doing. The fifth word that's used for gifts is the word, you can see the word energy, or, or kind of our English word energy in there. It's the idea of an effect or, or doing some type of work or operation. Let me point you to Ephesians chapter 3 for this particular word. Ephesians chapter 3 says, Now to him, speaking about God, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in the Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The energy of God at work in us is what is being referred here. That God would be able to do more in and through us than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we get right on the edge of getting bored with Christianity or bored with church. We probably wouldn't say it that way. Uh, but, but oftentimes it feels that way. When I think about that in my own life, or I think about that in the nature of a church, my concern is at that point, maybe we have sold God short on what he really wants to do in and through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Sometimes the reason we get bored might be because we've reached the end of what we can do on our own and what God really has for us. And what he really has for his people is a work that only he can do in and through us. And that work is immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask and imagine. So when we're talking about God empowers each of us in various ways, we're saying that he has plans for us and for our church that go beyond anything we could ever imagine. We just don't want to stop short of that. We don't want to come up short of what he has for us. Phrase number four on your notes is for the manifestation of his spirit. The word manifest is a word for display or show. 
There's a famous book about the Holy Spirit by D.A. Carson that's called Showing the Spirit. That pretty much sums up the Christian life. The Christian life is about showing the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives. At Emmaus, we say we exist to proclaim and display. You were right on it. I knew you were there. It's hard to talk back in church. I understand that. We exist to proclaim and display Jesus. We want to speak about Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to display his love to the world around us. We're we're showing two things about this that we talked about last week. There's a group dynamic. You show God's power at work in your life when you gather with a group, and there's a public dynamic. Sam Storms, I like this phrase from Sam Storms. He says, gifts, spiritual, he's talking about spiritual gifts here. Spiritual gifts are God going public among his people. God gifts his people so that the power of the Holy Spirit would become a public reality to those around us, that people would be able to see. Someone comes up to you and they say, man, I really see God at work in your life. That's it. That's exactly what's being talked about here. I can see in a public display the work of God at work in your life. That's exactly what it means for a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose? We're gonna wrap up with these last two phrases. What's the purpose? The purpose is to build up one another and then number six will be to display Jesus to the world. To build up one another. Now, let's just state the obvious. Some of you have the gift of hospitality and that'll really build up the body, if you know what I mean. Hospitality, eat a lot, build up the body. It was pretty good, come on now. That was a lot better than, than that. Build up the body. Build up the body is, is kind of churchy word. I, I realize that, churchy language. Build up the body says, I am for you and I am with you. I'm going to live in such a way that you are invested in. There's really only two ways to live. I know this oversimplifies, but there are really two ways to live. Either you are giving to others or you are taking from them. You are a giver or a taker. Those are, those are really about the, the options that are given. In the Christian life, We are called to give, to build up one another, to live in such a way that other people are encouraged, other people are strengthened, other people are empowered to endure through what they're facing, other people are able to learn how to live out the Christian life. I'm always thinking about, God, how would you use me to build up one another? How would you use me to invest in those around me? Three phrases, and we mentioned these in the emails this this last week, but three phrases that are helpful here. I live for the glory of God, I live for the good of others, and I live for my joy. That when I glorify God, when I focus on Him, when I do good for others, that brings joy in my own life. And here's the cool thing. When you use the gifts that God has given you, your joy doesn't go down, it goes way up. Amanda does something really cool with our kids at Christmas. Um, She gives them $10 to go to the dollar, you can tell we're just or, or over the top with our kids, but they get more than $10, I promise you. If the grandparents are listening to this, I promise they get more than $10. Um, but they get $10 to go to the Dollar Tree and buy gifts for one another to wrap themselves and give to each other on, on Christmas morning. They put more thought and more effort into those gifts from the Dollar Tree of $10 than they do know us anything else. We have given them those resources. 
as a gift so they can turn around and encourage and bless their siblings. And it's so much fun to see how they're excited to watch their siblings open those gifts because they've put so much thought. And it's just, it seems something so small, but it means so much to them. And I think the way that Amanda and I look at our kids in those situations is how God looks at us. He has given us these gifts so that we would turn around and invest them in others, and in the process, our joy and our love for him and one another would grow. God has empowered each of us in various ways for the manifestation of the Spirit to build up the body, and then finally, number six, to display Jesus to the world. Look at these verses on the screen just a minute. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 15, 18 and 21. As you sent me, this is Jesus praying to the Father. Uh, that should be John 17, 18 through 21. My mistake there. Scratch that out. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I pray that they may all be one so the world may believe that you have sent me. Here's a caution for this one another study that we're doing over the next, next few months. Somebody might be tempted to say, Owen, isn't this going to make us more inwardly focused? Hear me out here. You're talking about one another. You're talking about these gifts to be used in the body. You're talking about building up one another. Isn't that the problem with the church, that we are too inwardly focused? And I would say you've got a good point there. That is something we always have to be aware of. That's why at Emmaus we talk about up, in, out. We glorify God, he works in us, and we form these relationships in order that we can then live out. The reality is that as believers, if we don't love one another, if we don't serve one another, there is no way that we are going to be able to go out on mission. Dr. Chuck Kelly, who's the president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and, and invested in my life and Amanda's life so much, he says that Southern Baptists don't have an evangelism problem, we have a discipleship problem. The reason we are so bad at telling other people about Jesus is because frankly we just don't love one another very much. And until we figure out what it means to love one another, serve one another, build up one another, when that happens, sharing Jesus is the most natural thing imaginable because people are looking in at our lives. They're looking in at our relationships and they're saying, I want to know what it looks like to love one another. I want to know what it looks like to serve one another. I want to look, know what it looks like to build up one another. When that happens within the church, we don't become more inwardly focused. That's actually what God does to set us free to be able to go and display Jesus to the world. And so what we're doing over the next few months is not about making Emmaus more inwardly focused. That comes naturally just because we're selfish people at the core, and it begins with me. What we're doing over the next few months is we're asking God to so transform us on the inside that the result of what he does on the inside begins to display Jesus to the world around us, that that's our hope. Look at this last slide. This is what we're going to wrap up with. How would you respond to God's work in your life? This morning, we're not going to do a normal stand up and, and scene. I felt like as I was preparing this 
sermon points a little bit more to, to a reflective response, just a time for you to, to pray. These are the things I want you to consider. Have I experienced the power of God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do I know what it is to experience God's grace, his power? I don't earn it. I don't work my way toward it. I don't prove my love for him. He loved us first through Jesus. All of what we're talking about here, being part of the church, isn't about just serving people and doing nice things. It's about what God has done in me is gonna flow through me to other people. Number two, how has God empowered me to serve others? You say, man, I would really like to be able to know that. Well, we killed a lot of trees to make a whole bunch of paper packets so that you would be able to answer question number two, that you would know your spiritual gifts, you would know your passions, your ability, your personality, your experience in life. All that God has done to shape you, to serve other people, is part of the reason that we have put that packet in your hands, or we will get you one as you leave, or we'll print you an extra or email you, whatever we need to do, we have to take time as a church to slow down and answer question number two. How has God empowered us? Here's the fun thing. Our deacons kind of ran the first process of these spiritual gifts surveys. It's been so much fun for me to read several of those as they've come back in and see how God has gifted those men to serve and, and the experiences they've had in life. And so those guys have set the stage for this, but this, we want everybody to do this. Number three, am I committed to living for God's glory and the good of others in order to experience true joy? We live in a world where people are looking for happiness and they look for it in all the wrong ways. You don't need me to tell you that. You can see that on display in all kinds of different ways. Where do you find true joy in life? When you give yourself fully to the Lord and when you live for the good of others to be able to show his love to them. Would you bow your heads with me? We're gonna get ready to, to wrap up here in, in just a moment. Here's what's gonna happen uh, over the next couple of minutes. Not trying to be secretive, and, and I know it's easy to get ready to leave at a moment like this, but hang tight with me just for a minute. I'm gonna guide you through some times of prayer. After we do that, we're gonna take up the offering your response to this time of worship this morning might be that you need to fill out that connect card, that guest card, and say, I need to talk to somebody about following Jesus. Or I need to talk to somebody about something that's happening in my life. If that's your response, the best thing you can do right now is you can fill out that card and say, I need to reach out to somebody, I need somebody to pray for me. But right where you are, think about God's grace in your life. Think about that time of salvation, whether it was as a young child, maybe you had played the church game for a long time and thought you were a believer and came to a point later in life where you experienced God's grace. Remember that the salvation and the hope you have in Christ was nothing that you earned or worked your way toward, it was a gift from God. And because that salvation was a gift from God, everything he wants to do through your life will also be a gift from him. He is a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And that means you. That he has gifted you, that he has empowered you in order to make an impact on the people around you and an impact on the world. 
God, would you show us at a deep level how you've gifted us, how you want to empower us. If you're here this morning and frankly, you find yourself bored with Christianity and bored with church sometime, that you would sit and reflect on what it means that God wants to do immeasurably more than what you could ever ask or imagine. That maybe the reason you're bored with Christianity and church is because you haven't been dependent on the Spirit to work through you to impact other people. It may be more than that. There may be a lot of other things going on, but God, what have I done lately to show your spirit, to show your power to people around me? God, I pray for Emmaus, Father. I thank you for these people who have gathered here in big church to worship you. God, I thank you for the preschool and kid volunteers we have. I thank you that this is a church that stretches across generations stretches across so many different boundaries. We want to be a people who glorify you, who live for the good of others, and who experience a depth of joy that can never be taken away. And so God, praying alongside my friends this morning, God, I just pray that you would show your power in and among and through us God, that you would work in such a way that only you receive the glory for it. And so, God, we have come here this morning to say we give ourselves completely to you, Father, because you are good and worthy of all worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.